Good afternoon. You are listening to KSKQ 89.5 FM in Ashland, Oregon and 94.1 FM in Medford, Oregon. This is the special Christmas edition of Literary Ashland this year. And I'm Michael Neiman. And I'm Ed Battistella. And we're here with Bobby Ariano and in some way recreating our very first Literary Ashland show ever over five years ago. Yeah. Hi, Bobby. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, welcome. Good. Merry Christmas. Thank Merry you. Happy Christmas holidays, indeed. everyone. Yes. Yeah. So we are here to have, without much of a specific agenda, uh, but we'll talk about writing and books and short stories and nicotine and uh, all kinds of things. Um, so let's start with you, Bobby. You have a story in an interesting volume that came out from Akashic Press called The Nicotine Chronicles. Mm -hmm. And your story is entitled Climax Oregon. Yeah. And so uh, I think both Ed and I have seen fragments of this story over the years because it's mm -hmm. set at Omar's. It starts at Omar's. Right. So tell us how you ended up in a store, in a, in a collection about nicotine. That was just lucky. Uh, again, I know how uh, fortunate I am to have had the same publisher for the past almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in uh, this year coming up, Akashic Books. And it was uh, about halfway through the experience I had of, I guess two out of five of the novels they've published of mine uh, were already in print when they started an urban noir series. It began with Brooklyn Noir, uh, and that was, wow, edited by the great Tim McLaughlin. And mm -hmm. he invited you know 15 or 20 people to submit stories, set it all around Brooklyn. And there's a map inside the front cover. And it was a, a hit and uh, LA Noir, Chicago Noir, Portland Noir. Uh, a lot of other cities. I think they're up to yes. almost forty titles now. I and just, I just, I, I just purchased Addis Ababa Noir, terrific, edited by Maza Mengiste. <laughs> oh, I can't wait! I just love that they're covering the world in noir. Mm -hmm. um, but similarly, they they began a series called the the Chronicles. That was just about five years ago. The Drug Chronicles. I think it started with. Um, the marijuana chronicles and they've already had heroin and cocaine. Um, mm -hmm. But they said, well, you know what? We have to get some, um, uh, well, some, some already universally legal if frowned upon drugs like nicotine in there. And I guess my association as a Cuban American with a uh, fondness for cigars made the editor uh, Lee Child uh, and publisher Johnny Temple think of me, invite me to submit a story Nothing's guaranteed in the world mm -hmm. of the Akashic series unless the story really feels like it fits. And, um, and sure enough, I've, I've, I had something already kind of cooking uh, around Omar's that had quite a bit of smoking in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized could have a, uh, a cigarette related uh, plot element. So that, that's where I, I pitched this story climax Oregon. And, and for the readers who, uh, or the listeners who, um, may not know, Climax Oregon is an actual place, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Too good. Too good not to 
include as a possible title. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't been in a in a book title in a book or story title already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny too because that story was cooking for a while on a blog that mm -hmm. I've kept up ever since moving to Ashland in 2010 called uh, Dinner at Omar's, mm -hmm. and uh, and it's uh, Dinner at Omar's .com. No e in Tumblr for anyone who wants to to peek at some of the early gestation of this yes. Climax Oregon story. Plus I, I pretty much every year have a Christmas at Omar's story that I make sure to feature on that blog. Uh, mm, so today of all days, this weekend, for mm -hmm. those of you listening, uh, visit Omar's with me virtually on that dinner at omars.tumblr blog. What has attracted you to Omar's besides that it's right next to SRU? <laughs> Yeah, Michael, I, I have to say, I've been so fortunate. Every place I've lived uh, in my adult life, uh, Northeast, Southwest, and now in the Northwest, I have found, or I'd rather put it this way, I have been found by a <laughs> family or friend-owned uh, drinking and or eating establishment that just becomes a second home to me. Um, mm -hmm. And during my first couple of years here at SOU, that meet me at Omar's refrain was such a common uh, thing you'd hear after a faculty meeting or at the end of the week. And uh, yeah, if you've ever been to Omar's, you take it with you the rest of your life because Omar's is a movable feast. And mm -hmm. after a faculty meeting is generally when people need to go to Omar's. Correct. <laughs> it, it's got such a history. If you go to their website, the first and longest running liquor license, and I think in, in the state in terms of continuous and still open. Um, but uh, just where they're built and the, the geological history of the springs that they're built on. And mm -hmm. it, it feels like a real nexus there at the, at the intersection of Siskiyou Boulevard and Route 66, right? Kind of the, uh, the center of my little universe in terms mm -hmm. of the stories that I've been able to, mm -hmm. I've been able to find there and the people who found me like Bear. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, so. Well, I just unwrapped my copy of the Nicotine Chronicles this morning um, because it was all wrapped up. Um, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about the story? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> there's a character named Robbie Rayeno, uh, not so much an autobiographical stand-in, really, <laughs> but I couldn't help, I couldn't resist. It's, uh, it's a great name. Yeah. Who's, yes. Yeah. Who uh, is in charge of community policing, a kind of a cushy job for the Ashland Police Department, uh, and therefore is resented by all of his co-workers and, uh, um, and gets, gets, um, dragged into what seems like a setup whereby a bunch of money that's supposed to build the senior center disappears. Mm -hmm. um, um, sort of like a one point, like that $1.9 million email we might remember. In <laughs> <laughs> and the set, the setup uh, is going to kind of put him, tie him up in a sort of a situation where he's going to need to make a Houdini style escape to save not just his reputation, but his life. Mm -hmm. Nice, nicely summarized, nice. yes, indeed. And of course it taps into so much, not just the, the Omar local you are here in Ashland, but also the 
brouhaha about the senior center and who's going to run the money. So I think you tie it sort of these various strands of what makes Ashland so Ashland into that story. Yeah. Thank you. You can't make this stuff up. I think we need a story about the senior center called Old Money. Oh, and I hear someone, I, I know a writer who's got a sabbatical coming up and I'm going to give that to him as homework. Yes, indeed. So, old good money. Good I, I want to ask about Michael's latest book in a second yeah. too. But but first it occurred to me, and I don't know if we've talked about um, Rob Fortgang um, on the show before, um, the, the holistic detective in Ashland, but I think it would be fun to have Robbie Rileno and, oh. uh, and Rob Fortgang do a sort of crossover at some point and... Uh, and that would so indeed be they could run into project. each other, you know. Um, Robbie's pull, Robbie's pulling out of Omar's and runs into Rob's uh, scooter or something like that. I mean, it could be a, <laughs> be a fun little story. That's so crude. That's so good. Thank you, Ed. And yes. in fact, Michael, I'm ready for the mashup. But if 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 we wanted, we could give it off to a student to write his fanfic. I think they call it shipping. <laughs> When you give two disparate you characters, right, when you have other people write your stories for you. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the Robs, they got to meet Robbie and yeah, Rob. No, because I actually did start a whole new Rob Fortgang story after quite a quite a interlude of no stories because I was so intrigued by the whole COVID pandemic, and so I I, I did I did the six hour class on contact tracing that was offered by Johns Hopkins free, you know, so, and I'm thinking, you know, Rob gets hired as a contact tracer by the county health department. And of course, you know, the, the idea behind contact tracing is that people will willingly tell you who they all met. Mm -hmm. But we all know that, that is not necessarily the case, especially if the people that are being contacted were engaged in illegal activities of some sort. Mm -hmm. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with this guy. We were d dicing up the money that we stole from so-and-so. So that's the, this, I have a start on that story. So if, if something like that rings like something that Robbie Rieno might want to do, yeah, and you don't have to answer now. But so oh, this, this could go in the new Akashic uh, proposed pitch for uh, the vaccine chronicles. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> you want to send that to Johnny and uh, yeah, good thinking. The vaccine chronicles. <laughs> oh, both of you, you got my wheel spinning. Be like a a Coco chronicles. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I I hope so. You know what's funny is that he hasn't touched LSD yet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, and that came up. That came up in this time of, you know, what's interesting is we're doing these, these, you've been doing literary Ashland for years, but I'm finding that publishers like Akashic and bookstores are doing more virtual events. And yeah. in fact, the, um, the, the, the event that I got to do with Lee Child and Bernice McFadden for Mysterious Galaxy Bookshop back in September, that was all we could talk about is that, um, we wanted to know when when he was going to get around to LSD Noir, and, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, I actually wrote him about it, and he said no plans yet, but we'll be sure to no. let you know. <laughs> he has to sort of time it right. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> but Coco, I think it's I think they're going to have to get around to s softer. I agree. I like coffee, coffee and cocoa because I got oh. a cocoa story. So 
Oh, there's definitely going to be caffeine, right? They're got to hit caffeine yeah. noir. Yeah. So and cocoa, yeah, cocoa noir just sounds good. It sounds like yeah. Mm, I want to read. Tra- that. I mean, it has to the be trans fat chronicles. <laughs> Theobromine noir just doesn't sound it's quite correct. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad you didn't let us get uh, past Ashland without touching on Rob Fortgang, but is it time? We should, I want to talk about Valentin Vermoli. I do, I want to, what's up with the, the latest uh, the latest book, which just came out? Uh, November. November, yeah. okay, I was yeah. trying to remember, right. the, trying to remember the date. So what's uh, Vermeulen up to in this one? Well, this is one of those stories where you realize that you have to write five books before you really, really, really get to know your character. <laughs> and so uh, there was, of course, always that backstory that, you know, that backstory back in Antwerp where he got, uh, you know, into trouble, you know, his wife divorced him and he just got a job at the United Nations because he just needed to get the hell out of Belgium. So that's, that was always part of the mandatory introduction of the character in every novel. Uh, but as I, you know, as I grew to know him better, I just thought that there was a good chance to, to write a different kind of novel. Uh, the other problem, of course, is that given his job at the United Nations, pretty much every single crime that he can investigate happens to involve fraud of some sort. It's going to be some kind of fraud and you have to create. So, you know, I've written now, I had written four books that had some kind of fraud going on. And I'm thinking it's going to be something else. There's going to be a change of pace. And so, and finally, uh, I read, you know, the, the penultimate uh, John Le Carré book, A Legacy oh, yeah. of Spies. And that sort of inspired me with this sort of current and past history. You know, like there's as, as two timelines going on in that book and I have two timelines in my book as well. So the short of it is he gets called back to Antwerp because in his previous job as prosecutor there, he supposedly has had that, had, had, did some, something that was illegal. And so he gets called back, he has to go back and he is investigated and he's being interviewed by two cops who uh, are not at all friendly to him and uh, he realizes quite quickly that uh, this is a serious issue, not just a pro forma thing. So that's the setup of the story. Mm-hmm. It turns out there are others that are also interested in him. <laughs> so pretty soon he's got the gangsters and the, the prosecutors after him, and that gets him into a tight spot and that he has yeah. to get out of. So that's basically the summary. Mm-hmm. So these are both sort of escape uh, stories. I mean, I, I always enjoy the way that Michael gets his characters out of uh, out of trouble and into trouble, and and also in uh, Havana Libre. I mean, we, yeah, um, characters just sort of climbing in, climbing here and there. And I mean, how do you write, <laughs> how do you each sort of write those uh, those action scenes? Those always strike me as the the part that's easiest to mess up. Mm. How about you, Michael? I, uh, I, geez. You just get, oh, well, get yourself uh, in trouble and then uh, get out of it, or? Well, that's it's the old it's the old uh, uh, rule, right? You know, mistreat your protagonist and put him into all kinds of troubles so that you you know the reader can figure out what he's made of. Uh, mm-hmm. Who was that who said that? That was one of the oh Kurt Vonnegut. 
I had one of those rules, the rules of writing, you know. Yeah. Uh, the other rule was every character has to want something, even if it's only a glass of water. <laughs> so, yeah. so those are good, good rules to keep in mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm a seat of the pants writer, so I, none of this is plotted. So I figure that if I surprise myself, hopefully my reader will also be surprised. Uh, that requires quite often some serious backfilling when you get to the end and realize, wait, that doesn't make any sense, you know, but that's okay. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm thinking, so what could, what could possibly happen right now? Mm. And so, uh, and I understand that car chases are good ways to increase tension, uh, even if this particular car chase happens to be rather slow motion because it's a traffic jam. <laughs> so this was just like, how do you do a car chase that hasn't already been done? So how about a car chase in a traffic jam, right? So that's one thing. Uh, and, you know, there's one scene that takes place in a museum. And I realized after I'd finished, you know, he's gotten, he's meeting surreptitiously with an informer in the museum. And I realized, oh, shoot, there's only one way out. And now the bad guys are there. How am I gonna get him out? It, was, it took me a couple of days to figure this out. Like, geez, there's just no way that he could get out of there until I then came up with a trick that I used in the book. And I'm not gonna tell you our listeners what that was. I have Yeah. It's a process, isn't it? You have to, you have to, paint yourself into a corner or tie yourself in knots sometimes. Yeah. Well, I wonder if the people that do it as a sort of in a kind of pantser way are more suspenseful than the people that plot it all out and where uh, it's kind of paint by numbers. So yeah. I don't have any evidence either way, but. Uh, I wouldn't I, know. Yeah. I've definitely had to uh, go into some research mode, which thanks to the internet now is pretty, straightforward but but i also consult with my father-in-law who uh is a contractor <laughs> i needed to know if it was possible for instance just for instance without giving too much away to um get oneself out of a tricky situation um by uh going inside the walls of mm -hmm. two by four or perhaps two by six construction. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, you know, you start to Google this kind of thing. And with the right combination, you find out, you know, it's been done. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and then and, you start getting really weird ads. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But I, I was intrigued by that particular escape. It was really nicely done, Bobby. So that was like, oh, it's the same thing. How is he going to get out of that one, right? And sure enough, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's tempting fate, and it feels like a crapshoot sometimes. I'm going to eventually get myself in a corner and 200 pages in that I can't get out of. But, you know, yeah. so far, uh, yeah. yeah. That's where you kill off the character. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Good point. So, Michael, five books uh, in. There were some. There were some unusual changes. I thought with percentages of guilt. I mean, it was necessary naturally if we're going to go back to Antwerp for yeah. Tessa to be a bit of a long distance mm -hmm. uh, uh, sort of partner. Uh, yeah. And 
and there's there's a lot more family. There's I mean I I, I know that of course we learned that Valentin is not entirely he didn't always play by the rules, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's matched with a sense of the Valentin the 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 parent too and the, the yeah. daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what what was that like for you? It seems like it was this was a very emotional uh, series of stories that you told in one novel. Yeah, um, I. You know, since I'm not a father myself, I don't have any children. I had to sort of imagine a lot, you know. So I've I've been lucky that you know, I have stepchildren. I I've seen stepchildren go through divorce. So uh, I've seen the pain that causes, and I've seen the pain it causes, especially for their children. Uh, my my honorary grandchildren, so to speak, and so I I just had to imagine that, you know, what that must be like and what it must be like to have these kinds of arguments. Uh, and it's, you know, it's oftentimes as, as in the novel, the argument isn't really about anything specific. You know, he forgot to bring the groceries home. Gosh, you know, so, but it's just that it's been building up over a period of time. And I think that's how relationships break down because people don't talk to each other. And it gets to and, and it gets to the point, and then the actual inciting incident is meaningless. It's just that everything that had happened beforehand was just so bad. So that's basically how I figured it, and so that's how I wrote that whole family breakup. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's, it's another kind of suspense. You've sort yeah. of yeah. Mm-hmm. created these uh, an escape room situation yeah. with uh, with emotions. Yeah. And you know the the hard the hard part for me was to have his daughter talk about her drug addiction, because I have never been addicted to drugs. I have you know what whatever little illicit substances I might have consumed in my life just, just gives me no insight whatsoever. So it was a lot of research on on that on stories of what addicts say and tell and so forth to try to make this at least somewhat convincing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I was, yeah, Ed, please, you go ahead. I'll keep my. Well, I, I was going to ask what's next for Vermeulen. Uh, yeah, well, actually, as be, just before I was logging on to this, this Zoom call here, I was in, you know, fixing, fixing Vermeulen number six, which weirdly doesn't have a title yet. It's been already sent to the publisher and sent back to me with a uh, basic saying, it doesn't work the way you have it. <laughs> That's what they always say. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can't have your protagonist show up in the fifth chapter. So, um, and so I've been reworking this novel. It's also going to be an atypical Vermeulen novel in that it is set in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, and it is set in 2018 against the whole migration background and things like that. And, uh, and the whole Trump policies and the whole crackdown on asylum and so forth. And, and it's interesting because you mentioned that Tessa was a far distance. This time Tessa is with him every day because she's going there to write an article 
She's a journalist. She's uh, writing an article. She and her mm. consortium are writing a series of articles about the militarization of borders worldwide. Mm. And so she's taking on sort of the U.S. border with Mexico. Mm-hmm. And he is sitting in his job being bored. She says, come along, you know, take some vacation. You got more enough than vacation saved up. And so that's how they... That's how he ends up getting to it. I had a problem. How do I get him to Arizona? Because he has no jurisdiction in the United States. Mm-hmm. He has no reason to be anywhere in the United States. And so that was sort of the, the cheap excuse to get him there. Um, and it turns out there is a case of human trafficking. A skeleton is found by anthropology students in the desert. And, uh, you know, there's some artifacts next to that skeleton. The, the medical examiner and forensic anthropologist go through the paper, through the stuff, and I find the telephone number in it, which is a New York Manhattan telephone number. They call it, and it happens to be Vermeer's number. <laughs> and so... Uh, and so it turns out that it's also a little bit of a revisiting of uh, what happened in the second novel. Oh, great setup. Yeah. 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 Well, and I look forward to going to Arizona with you. I, I, it, this year and having an opportunity to read uh, an early uh, review copy of Percentages of Guilt was such a joy because I, I, like with the other novels, I feel like I'm uh, having a little European vacation with a dear yeah. friend. And anyone who knows you, and I feel like anyone who tunes into KSKQ knows you, is, is gonna benefit from just knowing where the best place to get uh, coffee or a beer <laughs> in the water pool. Yes, there's always food involved, isn't there? Mm. Uh, yeah, I was actually in Arizona at the beginning of the year. I, I went to a border conference in, in Sawaita, just south of Tucson, which is organized there every year. Uh, and, you know, did a trip to Nogales across the border and then stayed on longer and just drove along the fence, crossed the border in Douglas and Naco and, and went to the other side and see how, you know, interestingly enough, in in, in, uh, in in Agua Prieta, on the other side of Douglas, you know, there the awful, awful border wall is painted in the most beautiful colors, hmm. you know. And the other thing I noticed, which is really interesting, is that on the Mexican side, the towns were thriving. Hmm. On the U.S. side, the towns were just shells. Hmm. Because given the dramatic increase in border control and it takes you i mean even on a slow day it takes you hours to get across in your car right so in other words mexicans just don't come and shop anymore Hmm. i read afterwards that in nogales there used to be nine million people a year coming from nogales mexico to shop in nogales arizona they're not coming anymore Hmm. shops are closing malls are closing so it's really sort of how to shoot yourself in the foot in more ways than one so it was really fascinating to be at that in that area there Hmm. great i'm still trying to think of the title a good good title Uh, yeah i rejected a beautiful wall Yeah, I don't know. I'll come up with a title of some sort. You know, right now it's just called Desert. You know, my working title is Desert. So that's basically it. But it seems to me that we are probably running out of time. And uh, we should probably, I don't have we had 28 minutes yet. 
I'm not. You, you, I wasn't counting. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was I. I, well, I forgot to set a timer either. So, anyways, I, my total time connect for me says 33 minutes. So, I think we're probably reaching the limit. We may be pretty close. I was going to yeah. ask Bobby one last question. Sure, go for it. I can cut this part out, by the way. <laughs> what are you working on for 2021? Ah, um, for 2021, I'm, I'm working on uh, getting uh, out of the house eventually. <laughs> and um, honestly, I, I do hope to uh, find an opportunity finally to get back to my book about the Freakies, the Cuban um, mm. punk rockers uh, that I met 25 years ago who sort of epitomized a counter-revolutionary extreme resistance. And, and I, I literally this week said, I think I have time over the, the holidays to do some of the research I really need to do. And I don't know if it'll be by spring, but by summer, actually travel to Cuba. I need one more mm -hmm. research trip to, um, to interview a few people who I met on my way to the airport yeah. uh, last visit in 2018. I'm, I'm glad you asked. Back to the freakies for me. This Good. is Cuba, Arizona, and Ashland. Yeah. 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 That's basically it. Here we go. <laughs> well, folks, thank you for tuning in to Literary Ashland. Uh, it was Michael Neiman, Ed Batistella, and Bobby Ariano today. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful rest of the holidays. And we'll be back in the new year with new editions of Literary Ashland. Until then... Good words to everyone. Bye, everybody. Feliz Año Nuevo. <laughs> <laughs>